So question 38 in the catechism, right? So the catechism has these two big sections. 1 through 38 is what man is to believe concerning God. And questions 39 through 107 is what duty God requires of man. And we are at the last question then, 38, rounding out what we are to believe concerning God. And we're going to be taking a break after this um, for another study. Um, But here we are, Shorter Catechism 38. Uh, I'll ask the question, and you can respond to the answer. What benefits do believers receive from Christ at the resurrection? At the resurrection, believers being raised up in glory shall be openly acknowledged and acquitted in the day of judgment and made perfectly blessed in the full enjoying of God to all eternity. Scripture reading, uh, we're going to look at Daniel 12. Um, This is just an Old Testament reading to give some background. We're not going to be looking at it in particular in the sermon, but it's helpful background for, uh, for an Old Testament reading. Daniel 12. Let's give all our attention now. This is God's Word. At that time, Michael shall stand up, the great prince who stands watch over the sons of your people, And there shall be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation even to that time. And at that time your people shall be delivered, everyone who is found written in the book. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, some to shame and everlasting contempt. Those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the firmament, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever. And ever. But you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. Then I, Daniel, looked, and there stood two others, one on this river bank and the other on that river bank. And one said to the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the river, How long shall the fulfillment of these wonders be? Then I heard the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the river when he held up his right hand and his left hand to heaven and swore by him who lives forever that it shall be for a time, times, and half a time. And when the power of the holy people has been completely shattered, all these things shall be finished. Although I heard, I did not understand. And I said, my Lord, what shall be the end of these things? And he said, go your way, Daniel, for the words are closed up and sealed till the time of the end. Many shall be purified, made white and refined, but the wicked shall do wickedly and none of the wicked shall understand, but the wise shall understand. And from that time, the daily sacrifice is taken away and the abomination of desolation is set up. There shall be 1,290 days. Blessed is he who waits and comes to the 1,335 days. But you go your way to the end, for you shall rest and will arise to your inheritance at the end of the days. And now over to the New Testament, looking at a couple different texts here uh, which undergird the teaching of the Catechism, question 38. So first, 1 Corinthians, um, 1 Corinthians 15, 42 to 43. So also is the resurrection of the dead. The body is sown in corruption. It is raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. 
Matthew 25, 33 to 34. And he will set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. And 1 John 3, 2, Beloved, now we are children of God. And it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when He is revealed, we shall be like Him. For we shall see Him as He is. In 1 Thessalonians 4.17 Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. And thus ends the reading of God's holy word. Let's pray now. Speak, O Lord, for your servants are listening. We would be humble and contrite in heart. And we would listen to you, to what you have to say. And we would trust not in our own understanding, but all in you. So feed us now, strengthen us now, teach us now, lead us and guide us in the good and godly way. We pray for Jesus' sake. Amen. So we've been working through the catechism, of course, and um, last Lord's Day, or the last time we were in this catechism study, uh, we, we looked at um, what the believer receives from Christ at death. And um, it's, just a, it's, it's a glorious question and answer there that, that uh, lays out for us all that we have received in Christ, even in our death, uh, that, that even as we die in the Lord, trusting in the Lord, uh, we are we are brought into His presence and uh, brought into uh, brought into joy in His presence and uh, made sinless and perfect forever. Um, but the divines don't stop there because Scripture doesn't stop there. The Lord doesn't stop there in the blessings that He has designed for His people. Um, as glorious as as going to heaven when we die will be, there is something far far better still. And that is what question and answer 38 is about um, uh, the, the, the glories of what Christ has done for us as he returns at the end of history and, and raises us up from the dead in glory uh, and, and makes us to enjoy God for all eternity is a glorious thing. The, the things we're looking at tonight um, in this catechism question are, are mind-boggling things. They are glorious promises that it's hard, it's hard to wrap our heads around. And, and when we're in the trenches of, of faithful obedience and the mundane day-to-day sorts of things, it can be hard to taste the, the, the reality of that hope that's ahead of us. And to understand it as a, as a real thing, right? We, we, um, uh, we, we read in the Catechism, we read in the Scriptures about the eternal blessedness that will be ours and the glorious presence of God when we're risen from the dead. And that's so far away from paying bills and changing the oil in the car and changing the dirty diapers and, and all the rest of it, right? How do, we, how do we get a handle on this and grasp this and, 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 and get a hold of this glorious hopes that it really transforms our lives? Um, some people say, right, um, the, these, these things are not the most practical doctrines, right? These are kind of far-off things. But loved ones, we need to get this hope down into our hearts. We need to get, a, get a, 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 a clear sense of what the Lord is holding out to us so that we can persevere faithfully in all those things and, and, the, and the long obedience in the same direction that He's given us. 
I hate to uh, reference movies much in the pulpit, but there is one movie that um, gives a nice picture of this. It's from a pagan worldview, unfortunately, but, but it does give a, a good picture of this eschatological way of living, right, with, with, your, with your eye on the end and on that eternal hope. Um, I think I might have mentioned this before. This illustration actually comes through one of my seminary professors at Westminster. He used it as well. Um, he's talking about the movie Gladiator. Um, and in, in the movie Gladiator, um, and again, I'm not recommending it or not. Uh, that's for another time. Um, but if you've seen it, right, there's a main character, this guy named Maximus, loses his wife and son early in the movie. They die. And, um, and, and the whole movie, he's, he's longing for his reunion with them in the afterlife. And that is what motivates him and drives him throughout the whole movie. And everything he's doing the whole time, that's, that's the dream he keeps on having. That's, that's, the, that's the hunger in his heart. Is, is he wants to get to the afterlife, to the paradise. He's driven by that desire. And that, that hope makes him able to endure all kinds of terrible things. And of course, in the end of the movie, he does uh, die bravely and he goes into the afterlife and he's there with his reunited with his uh, wife and his son. And of course, that's a, that's a pagan perspective. But in a sense, that is exactly how this hope of heaven should function in our lives. Right, yes, it, it can seem like a far-off thing, but this hope, not just of heaven, but the resurrection and our, our, um, our, 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 our enjoying God in the last day uh, and the new creation, uh, that, that, that should be a very practical hope for us here that gives us strength in the day-to-day. Um, so let's, let's uh, unpack this evening uh, the different clauses of this catechism question and answer. And look at the proof texts that go with them. And as, as we do so, let me encourage you to try to uh, uh, get, a, get, a, get a firm grasp on what God is promising you and, and to bring it into your heart so you can, you can hold on to that as a hope in your daily, daily obedience. The first thing that the Catechism tells us is uh, at the resurrection is that believers will be raised up in glory. And the text we're looking at here is 1 Corinthians 15. Verses 42 to 43, primarily. So if you know 1 Corinthians 15, you know that that's the great resurrection chapter where Paul has been uh, uh, talking about the resurrection of believers and he's already grounded our resurrection in the fact that Christ has been raised. Um, If Christ's been raised, surely you also will be raised with him at the last day. He's been arguing throughout this chapter. And as he comes to the end here in verses 42 to 43, he's bringing this argument to a conclusion. And he's saying that our very bodies, like Christ's, will be raised up and made new at Christ's return on the, in, the, in the last day. Um, and he's using, a, he's using a gardening metaphor here, um, picturing something being planted in the earth and then bearing, growing up, bearing fruit. Um, very similar to what Jesus says in John twelve twenty four. Jesus says, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. And Paul's doing something very similar. He compares our bodies to a seed, right? And you know, you know, you plant a garden, you take the seed, you stick it in the earth. And, and right, Paul's saying that's at our death, that's basically what's happening. The Lord is, is planting us in the ground. And we're there waiting for the resurrection. Right? The principle of resurrection life is there in the believer by virtue of Christ's resurrection. So it's only a matter of time till new life at the resurrection of the dead on the last day. Paul um, talks about this burial in our death. 
Uh, he describes it in three ways. He says the body, when we die, the body is sown in corruption. The word means, um, means uh, disintegration or decay, right? This is what happens to our bodies when they're buried. Um, then he says uh, also the, our bodies are sown in dishonor. Um, you might be buried with much pomp and circumstance, but still, it's a dishonorable thing, isn't it, right? The, what, what, what great honor does the, the body have as it's laid in the tomb? Not, not really any. Right? It's, it's, buried in, uh, uh, it's buried in decay. It's being put out of sight. Um, and then Paul says we've been buried in weakness. Right? What, is, what is weaker than, than, than a dead body? Right? It, it has no capacity for anything, no strength for anything, cannot act at all. And this is what uh, this is what death does to us, does to our bodies, loved ones. Right? This is the curse for our sin. And this is Paul says that's how our bodies are sown: decay and corruption and dishonor and weakness. But Paul's point is that when you bury a seed, you're expecting life to come eventually. Only a matter of time till till new life comes. And Paul says that our bodies are going to be raised up, and when they are, it's not going to be in this decay, this corruption, this disintegration, right? It's going to be new life. And he says, instead of, instead of decay, we'll be raised up incorruptible. Are um, the new bodies that the believers will receive at the resurrection won't be able to fall into corruption. They won't be able to get sick, decay, fall apart, get decrepit, or old, or die. Not even the possibility of that. Right, we're not going to have um, um, uh, uh, any, any of that uh, affecting our new life. Right, it's going to be our, our body. Same body, recognizable, I think, but, but transformed and made to live forever. Your body won't wear out, won't grow old, won't get sick, you won't get tired, you won't die. It's a glorious promise. Raised up, incorruptible life not able to be corrupted or to decay. Paul says, not only this, but you'll be raised up, secondly, in honor, right? Uh, You'll be raised up in glory, he says, instead of this dishonor, this shame and disgrace that you're buried in. It'll still be your body, but it will be transformed from something disgraced and marred and ruined by the effects of sin to something beautiful and glorious, something transformed, Reflecting the brilliant glory of God. Even, even our bodies will reflect His holiness. Third, he says, uh, we were buried in weakness, but we're going to be raised up in strength. Right? Fully alive. Uh, f- fully equipped to glorify and enjoy God forever. It is an amazing thing to consider. I think of my grandfather, 100 years old, seeing him on his deathbed. And the weakness of his body, right? Couldn't hear. Um, you know, couldn't couldn't move on his own. You couldn't sit up on his own. Um, he was fairly healthy to the end, but then, right, as everyone, he um, his time came and and he passed away. And he was the picture of weakness, right? And and to picture that, you know, my grandfather, right, his body's laid in the earth, but one day it's going to be raised up. In such, a, in such a condition that it would make, make an Olympic athlete look like a convalescent in comparison, right? With, with, with that much just, just strength and health and vigor and life, right? And, and that is the very promise that the Lord is giving us here, right? The, the Christian hope is a tangible hope, 
Right? It's not just this, this spiritual, uh, um, uh, um, uh, this hope that doesn't have uh, flesh to it, uh, as so many people have. Uh, but it, it, it's, it's, the, it's the very real hope of a resurrected body. It's a very practical hope, loved ones. So much of our lives is, is taken up with the, the, the weakness of our bodies. And I'm sure as, as, as we get older, right, this increases more and more. Um, um, we, we, we feel the effects of the fall and the effects of sin on our bodies as, as, we, as we age and as that process continues. But the Christian hope is you have a glorious resurrection to look forward to, where even your body will be transformed and made new able to glorify and enjoy the Lord forever and ever. No other religion or, or worldview offers this kind of hope that we have in Christ. And this, this glorious resurrection, of course, Paul is talking about here in 1 Corinthians 15, doesn't just include our bodies, but we read elsewhere, um, we didn't read this text earlier, but we read elsewhere in Romans 8, that uh, the whole creation is going to be, in a sense, resurrected and made new. We read this, Romans eight nineteen to 22 Paul says, For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, and hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. So so this resurrection we're looking forward to is the resurrection, yes, of our bodies, and yes, when Jesus makes all things new. He's not going to burn up the earth and throw it in the scrap heap for eternity, right? He's going to destroy it and the works in it, but then make it new again as a perfect dwelling place for God and man to be together. It's a glorious hope. Hold on to it. Hold on to it uh, in the daily struggles. Uh, hold on to it uh, when you see loved ones uh, in sickness. Uh, hold on to it uh, when you face uh, loved ones passing away. Think of your own mortality. That's the first thing we see here. Raised up in glory. The second thing the Catechism talks about is being openly acknowledged and acquitted at the Day of Judgment. So on that last day, it's a day of judgment, and the Lord is going to come as the great judge, and he's going to bring everyone before him who's ever lived, and he's going to require a reckoning and hold everyone accountable for their deeds. Um, We read of this in Matthew 25. Um, At the end of that chapter, uh, Jesus there is predicting his final coming and his judgment on all men, and he's going to separate those who are saved and those who aren't. And Jesus uses the, the, the illustration of a shepherd separating sheep and goats from one another. And um, he compares this to that, and he identifies his elect as the sheep. And these are those who have kept his word. These are those who have treated others with love, compassion, and mercy as treating the Lord. Um, these are those who are not earning their salvation by these things, but showing the fruit of their salvation that they've received by God's grace. And Jesus turns to the sheep and he says, verse 33 to 34, he will set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. So there, 
the day of judgment, standing before the throne of God, he is going to openly acknowledge his own as his own. Say, you belong to me. You're one of my own. And, and he's going to acquit us. He's going to, he's going to count us uh, as righteous in his sight. And of course, we're already, we've already been justified by him. Uh, we're already completely, entirely justified. But there's more coming, right? Um, we're going to stand there in the day of judgment, and he is going to say, you are innocent. You are not guilty. You are clean. You are welcome. It's a glorious promise. Um, uh, the hymn, It Is Well With My Soul, puts it very well. Right? O Lord, haste the day when the faith shall be sight, the clouds be rolled back as a scroll, the trump shall resound, and the Lord shall descend. Even so, it is well with my soul. As a child singing that song, I used to wonder why the hymn writer said, the Lord shall descend, even so it is well with my soul. I thought, well, wouldn't you, instead of saying even so, wouldn't you say, therefore it is well with my soul? But right, this is the day of judgment. It's a terrifying day. There should be nothing for a sinner to look forward to about his judgment day. But even so, the day of the Lord's coming in judgment, even so, it's well with us because that's the day we're going to be acknowledged by the Lord to belong to him and openly acquitted before the whole world. It'll be a sweet and precious thing to have the Lord say to us, well done, good and faithful servant. Right? Not because of our works, but because of the works of our Lord Jesus Christ for us. That's another glorious hope we have to look forward to. The third thing they uh, draw out for us here is that we will be made perfectly blessed in the full enjoying of God to all eternity. This brings us full circle. If you know the first question and answer of the Catechism, of course, our chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. And now we come to question 38 and we see that the goal of our redemption is the same thing that God has made us for, this glorifying and enjoying Him. He's saying He's going to bring us into uh, this, this resurrection life at the end of the ages and we are going to glorify and enjoy Him forever. This has been, uh, this has been called the beatific vision uh, the, the, the blessed sight of seeing God in all His glory and enjoying Him to the fullness. Um, uh, the, the, the Bible teaches us that uh, this, this time when we see God in all His glory uh, at the end of the ages is going to be um, like Eden, but better than Eden, a place where we will be with Him and cannot lose that fellowship with Him and that relationship with Him. First uh, Thessalonians 4.17 puts it like this, describes this hope that we have like this. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. That's the essence of the hope that we're looking forward to in, um, in, in the new heavens and new earth. Right? Everything else we're looking forward to in heaven is ancillary to this. Right? It's, it's secondary to this. It's dependent on this. Right? The, the reward that we're looking forward to is not just a comfortable, pain-free existence with the people that we love, but it, it's to be with the Lord, right? to have Him and to have Him have us in a sweet and uninterrupted uh, uh, relationship. 
This is where God is. And to have Him is to have everything. The, um, the hymn puts it well. The bride eyes not her garment, but her dear bridegroom's face. I will not gaze at glory, but at my King of grace. Right? It's a wonderful metaphor when you're, when you're getting married to someone and you're deeply in love with them. Right? You're not looking forward to the, the new home you're moving into. Not, I mean, you, you probably are, but that's not the main thing. You're not, you're, not, you're not sitting there dreaming about uh, uh, the, the, all the gifts in the registry you're looking forward to receiving. Right? You're, you, are, you are longing for being with the one you love. And that is our hope. Right? That, that, is the, that is the great core of our hope. We're going to be with him. First John 3.2 draws this out for us. 1 John 3, 2. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him, because we shall see Him as He is. What a tremendous verse. We shall see Him. We shall see God as He is. What does that mean? That we'll see God and, and, and we'll, we'll, we'll see Him as He is. Right? God's invisible. How are we going to see Him? Well, we're going to see His glory his being shining in the face of Jesus Christ. We're going to see Jesus Christ face to face. And that is to see God as he is, isn't it? And our view of him won't be distorted by anything. Right? The veil is going to be pulled away. Um, and, and, and our sight of Christ and our understanding of who God is will need no correction at all. No correcting lenses. We'll, we'll see him, we'll know him as he is. It's not a merely intellectual seeing. It's a worshipful seeing. It's, 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 to, it's to see Him and to know Him and to love Him and to enjoy Him as we see Him and understand the fullness of who He is. Why is it that we don't see who He is now in this same full way? Why is it not until heaven that we'll, we'll see Him as He is? Is there some inaccuracy in his word, in his revelation of himself to us? Some incompleteness to it? Well, no, right? It's the incompleteness and inaccuracy is in ourselves. It's the sin of that, 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 we, that we live in now that clouds our vision of him and that dulls our affections of him and that throws cold water on our heart's love for him. It's the indwelling sin we, we, we deal with now. And John's point here is that when we see God as he is in the face of Jesus Christ, we're going to be transformed and the sin will be, will be gone forever. And we'll see him perfectly then as he is. We'll be transformed to be like him and to reflect him and to, to see the, the goodness, the glory of who he is and to have this sweet face-to-face fellowship with Him. There's a wonderful theme in Scripture that, that John is, I think, touching on here as he talks about seeing Him and then being transformed like Him. Um, scripture teaches the, throughout that, that, that we become like what we worship. We see this in the prophets. They call out the Israelites for their false worship. And uh, they warn the people, if you keep on worshiping gods that are no gods, who are who are mute and who are deaf and who are blind, then you're going to become spiritually mute and deaf and blind. You become like what you worship. And John is saying, we're going to see the Lord as He is, and we are going to become like what we worship, transformed by seeing Him 
that we might see him yet more clearly and walk in him with more, uh, more, more sweet and close fellowship. In that day, loved ones, um, sin will no longer affect our relationship with him and we will have perfect joy in his presence. There's a prayer from the Valley of Vision that puts it like this. In heaven, praise will never cease. Adoration will continue forever. No flesh will grow weary. No congregations disperse. No affections flag. No thoughts wander. No will droop. But all will be adoring love. And that is our great hope. And that is what we're living for. That is, that is the, the great hope set before us that, that gives us perseverance and faithfulness along the way. It's not a distant, abstract, pie-in-the-sky kind of thing. We will be there with the Lord. Loved ones, uh, let me encourage you to, to um, train your heart on that hope and, and feed your heart with that hope. Right? The world pulls at us. I'm reading uh, Pilgrim's Progress the children's version to my boys some Sunday afternoons. And um, right, the pilgrims have just gone through Vanity Fair. And uh, in Vanity Fair, of course, right, so many pilgrims get pulled away from their journey to the celestial city and say, wouldn't it just be nice to settle down here? It's really quite a nice place. We don't need the celestial city. Right? And, and that's a wonderful illustration for exactly what happens to us so much of the time as we're going through. We are on a pilgrimage to our heavenly home Don't get pulled away. Don't let your heart get set on another hope. This is the hope that will give you strength through the long obedience now. So keep your heart set on it. Keep communing with your God and seeking Him. Let's pray together. Our gracious Lord, thank You for the wonderful hope of the Gospel that gives us this glorious hope of everlasting joy in Your presence where sin and death will be destroyed. And we will know no separation from you, but all will be adoring love. Strengthen our hearts with that hope. Strengthen us in the everyday obedience that you call us to now. The humiliation, uh, the, the laying down, the giving up that you call us to in our earthly pilgrimage. Strengthen us with the glorious uh, hope that is before us. This we ask for Jesus' sake. Amen.